What is good, guys and gals, and welcome to the Films and Pixels podcast, episode 24. I am your host, Afif. And if you're tuning in, really thank you so much for sticking with me. I realize it's been two and a half weeks, maybe. It's just I needed to clear a lot on my schedule. but And, and also, as well, I needed to make more of an effort as well, try to get the material ready for the topics as well. So a, a lot to do to prepare, but it's really fine. I, um, Me personally, I don't really intend to have this thing go away anytime soon. So just want to make it work and all that good stuff. But yeah, if you haven't uh, seen it before, uh, yeah, please check out previous episodes. If you subscribe to an independent channel like this, it just means a lot from you. So really thank you so much. If you subscribed, all my subscribers, you mean the world to me. So again, thank you. It means a lot. And don't forget to like, like, follow, and also like, uh, drop a comment in the comment section below. It's good for engagement as well. But anyway, regarding topics, uh, I got plenty of good stuff. I want to talk about the bad girl movie that got canceled after filming was complete. And the saga that really has began since that time. Uh, speaking of cinema, the Academy are apologizing for an incident that happened at the 1973 Oscars. An incident that's really just as infamous as what happened earlier this year, ironically. Uh, plus, like, uh, just a review of another music album, Renaissance by Beyonce. I know it's been out for a month by now, but uh, just my thoughts on it. Plus reports of a Logitech and Tencent collaborating on a cloud gaming handheld system. And news of a uh, UK gamer supported by an advocacy group uh, suing the Sony PlayStation stemming from overcharging gamers and all users for digital gaming prices claiming that they're overpriced and i understand it when it comes to the daily expenses in the uk but that's the topic for later but yeah um again i'm glad that you're tuning in without further ado let the good stuff start or you know that sounds really corny let's get things good let's get things going Alright, so I still, uh, I want to start off with a very important topic that is still being talked about even after two weeks later, and that's the shocking decision for Warner Brothers to just now uh, have their Batgirl movie be cancelled. And so this is like, it's really wild considering that it's very rare, something that doesn't occur often, you know, for a movie to be fully complete after production and then just cancelled. And what's worse is that not only is it not coming out in movie theaters, but definitely not on HBO Max. So it's not coming to their HBO Max streaming service either. It is um, it is really strange. We don't see this every day or even like every year. A movie to be canceled, not, let alone a movie with a big production like this. And it had a cast starring Leslie Grace in the lead role of Batgirl as well. And she's joined by, she was supposed to be joined. By Michael Keaton, J.K. Simmons, Ivory Aquino, uh, and even Brendan Fraser in the role as uh, as the antagonist, Firefly. Some people might be familiar with the character. Now here's the thing. It didn't help that when it came to budget, it actually started at $75 million for filming. But 
as you can guess from COVID-19 delays, you know, the cost did go up to $90 million. So, you know, a bunch of concerns didn't, didn't exactly help the situation either. And reports were surfacing that screen testings from audience members were so bad, especially regarding cringe dialogue as well. So there was a lot of negative reaction towards the movie. That may have been one of the reasons. <clears throat> and plus, like, there are reports that they're trying to do a tax write-off so that they can salvage some of the money that they had to use for the movie as well. So, of course, this is a cost-cutting budget kind of move as well to save some money of their own. And it's kind of ironic as this also comes at a time when they're going to be merging with... Uh, Discovery Plus for next year, combining the HBO Max and Discovery Plus streaming services together. So there's a lot has to be going on, especially since like another Scooby-Doo animated movie was supposed to come out. That also got canceled, but it's not making big news. But yeah, uh, it is well known that the other Scooby-Doo movie got canceled as well. And of course, like, there's been a lot of criticisms as well for this. Like, some backlash is definitely going to happen. Even, like, various members of the cast and crew did react one way or another. Uh, the composer for the film who did the score, uh, Natalie Holt, uh, she admitted that it took her a year to work on, like, 90 minutes of music before the movie eventually got axed. So, it, she is sad about the whole situation. And her and the interesting thing is that her contributions to this movie composing the movie came from a similar comic book project, but only in the form of uh, Loki season one. Uh, since the the directors of the movie, who I will also mention, really liked her work, so they really wanted to pick her for the job, and that's exactly what happened. So, what exactly went into the decision of canceling the movie altogether and not even release it for streaming? Well, the company CEO did have released a sta statement uh, afterwards with this quote. The decision not to release Batgirl re reflects on our, our leadership's strategic shift as it relates to the DC Universe and HBO Max, said a Warner Bros. spokesman in a statement. Leslie Grace is an incredibly talented actor and this decision is not a reflection of her performance. We are incredibly grateful to the filmmakers of Batgirl and Scoop, Holiday Haunt, and their respective casts, and we hope to collaborate with everyone again in the near future. Hmm, I don't know about that. I mean, the cast and crew really worked hard on a major blockbuster movie with, uh, that really costed a lot of money, and then, like, after production was completed and sometime editing or at least rough cut of editing, and then, like, you just cancel it? I I don't see anyone willing to work with your company again, <laughs> honestly. And yeah, because, like, as I said earlier, it may have been canceled for a tax write-off to save money. And even an anonymous actor, it's not said who, still anonymous, called a Warner Bros. executive as imbecile. You know, the multiple streaming avenues and their vague guarantees appear anything but secure. Uh, the actor supposedly told IndieWire in response to one of the publication's previous columns detailing the studio's decision to shelve Batgirl. 
I'm very offended by what happened and feel terrible for the directors and Leslie Grace, who are all wonderful to work with, as well as all of the technicians. It was an enormous rewarding challenge to make this movie during COVID and during the cold weather in Glasgow. So yeah, in case those are wondering, the location of the film was taken place in Glasgow for the filming. None of these things matter to an imbecile like Warner Bros. Discovery CEO David Zaslov. Yikes. His cowardice is breathtaking. I am glad I got to participate, and I wish the best for all those involved, except the suits at Warner Brothers, but they all get replaced sooner than later. Ouch. I mean, talk about being really bitter. I don't even blame the actor in question. When you spend months, when you get cast into a role, you rehearse the lines, you practice the lines, you try to get into character, you read and study the background history of the character, regardless of who this actor was casted in. I mean, you can't really blame, you know, those that are mad, even angry, for being in an unprecedented situation like this that no one saw coming at all. So, while the movie was filmed in Glasgow, uh, directors Adil El Arabi and Bilal El Falah, um, you know, they were in charge of directing the movie, so it was their responsibility. And another interesting thing, fun fact, uh, they worked on the Miss Marvel Disney Plus series and Bad Boys for Life movie. So, of course, they were going to respond, and they did release an official statement via Instagram. Uh, and also, even uh, both of them actually shared a statement about it. Also, uh, they actually had a screenshot of an email they got from Kevin Feige, who they're friends with, on their IG story. Yeah, so I got the quote, like, saying, Thanks for all the messages of support all over the world. Shout out to directors Edgar Wright and James Gunn. Just thanking for directors for the kind words. Of course, they were, like, at a wedding somewhere. I forgot where. But they were really sad and shocked for the whole thing. You can, you can guess what they said. You'll find it. But uh, even more interesting, actually, is an email they got from Kevin Feige. They worked with Kevin Feige on the Miss Marvel series. So, of course, he had something to say as well. Like, my friends, I had to reach out and let you know we are all thinking about you both. Because of the wonderful news about the wedding, congrats. And the disappointing news about Batgirl. Very proud of you guys for all the amazing work you do, and particularly Miss Marvel, of course. Can't wait to see what's next for you. Hope to see you soon. So yeah, uh, Feige sent an email, uh, you know, just reaching out to them, specifically to um, both. Uh, uh, hold on, sorry, look at the name. Bilal Falah and Adil Al Arabit for both of them. Um, but yeah, I do have the proper quote of what they said on Instagram saying like, we're sad and shy, we can't believe it. As directors, it is critical our work to be shown to audiences. And while the film was far from finished, we wish the fans all over the world would have had the opportunity to see and embrace the film, final film themselves. Maybe one day they will, inshallah. Although I hate to be a pessimist, but that's becoming doubtful. Hours ago, reports are servicing that there's going to be like what's called a funeral screening for the cast and crew involved in the movie just to watch it one time and then supposedly the movie might get 
either burned or like stored in an archive or something. And it gets even worse when one of the cast members, um, Ivory Aquino, uh, wrote a letter uh, saying how agonizing it was just to processing the whole thing and couldn't even stop. She couldn't stop crying and just really difficult to comprehend the whole thing. Like you'll find it online. It's just like, you know, you just feel for people who work hard and are passionate about a movie like this and really made relationships with many cast and crew members on the movie appreciating all the hard work and there's obviously like when you spend time with actors for many months on a movie of course you're gonna uh, develop some kind of friendship and chemistry so it is understandable but um, I hope no comic book movies suffer the same fate something occurred I hope it's not true supposedly uh, initial screen test for Black Adam got a negative reaction but since it's still slated for a late October 24 release, I think that's going to get better. So I really do hope so, especially since it's it's The Rock. I mean, I know I love The Rock. I know The Rock doesn't always have great movies, but it's The Rock. You can't really screw it up that badly. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't work with them if I'm Leslie Grace, but maybe something will turn up since they want to work with her again. Alright guys and gals, if you thought what happened earlier this year at the Oscar ceremony was crazy, think again, it's not exactly the first time something insane like this happened, which is why I want to go back to 1973 um, regarding uh, Sashin Littlefeather uh, when she was on stage speaking for Marlon Brando. So why am I talking about something that happened in 1973? Well, it turns out that, you know, after all this time, since then, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Picture Arts and Sciences have released a formal apology to Littlefeather for the heckling and abuse she has received since speaking for Marlon Brando at the 1973 Oscar Awards uh, by declining his Best Actor Award for his movie in The Godfather. When she found out, she was like completely stunned and really never thought it would be something that she would see or hear to this day. At that time, when the whole thing happened, she was 24 years old. 24 years old and she stood there alone, standing up for her Native American people. And, you know, and really just being a spokesperson for Marlon Brando. She's 75 now. So why is this happening? Well, it turns out that it's going to be something related for, um, you know, on honoring prestigious members. But I will get to what this is for, but she was, she said that she stood there alone at 24. You know, like, imagine the pressure, you know, just having, you know, having to speak there at that time and getting booed half a century later, you know, remembering the abuse uh, she received. She will return to, to the Academy as an invited guest for honor and evening reflection at the Academy Museum. So this is what it's really meant for. Yeah, and this is really historic for a live television event. You know, so in her mid-twenties at that time, um, she had to keep two promises for him. Um, one of them is not to touch the statuette. Those were his instructions. And to keep her comments under 
uh, 60 Seconds, which was an order from the show's producer, Howard Koch. Um, you know, if she, was, if she um, spent more than 60 seconds on stage, she would have been arrested, you know. And let's be thankful that Will Smith also didn't get arrested after what happened. But, you know, there's still a video, but she said, like, Brando very regretfully cannot accept this generous award. Um, you know, it was improvised knowing that, you know, he had like eight typed pages. But anyway, he could not accept this award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry. And then, of course, the audience at that time were booing. Um, yeah, hold on. Let, let's see. I know I got the feathers, but yeah, like, um, yeah, sorry. Um, because like a month before the ceremony, I got the notes, like an activist organization known as American Indian Movement had occupied South Dakota, the town of Wounded Knee at that time. So they were just protesting the sustained mistreatment of Native Americans, you know, and so it was sort of like a intense time as well and this is sort of why like little feather was speaking for her people as well you know and as a result like what it nearly got worse at that time like many people may remember the name john wayne an actor the actor john wayne like was about to go up on stage and attacked her but he was restrained by like six security guards so that's just kind of crazy you know Man, and, like, really since then, like, you know, her name has been kind of mocked, even as a really bad name uh, by um, Dennis Miller in some stupid quote or something. Uh, and since then, like, because of her moment, infamous moment, viral gov government uh, threatened to shut down 80 talk shows or productions that were going to put her on air because of that whole thing but i do have a quote the abuse you endured because of this statement was unwarranted and unjustified the emotional burden you have lived through uh, lived through and the cost to your own career and in our industry are irreparable for too long the courage you showed has been unacknowledged for this we offer both our deepest apologies and our sincere admiration this was a quote from then academy president david rubin who wrote uh, an apology on behalf of the Academy organization as recent as June 18. But it's a good thing that she'll participate in Academy Museum conversation with a friend simply named Bird Running Water, who's like co-chair of the Academy's Ingenuous Ingen Alliance. And he was really, the Running Water was really the one who reached out to Little Feather on behalf of the Academy. You know, just as part of the effort to, like, visit, revisit the organization's past and kind of, like, figure out the future going forward and try to respect more of the culture. So, yeah, I know I kind of paused a little bit, but uh, the whole thing really stemmed for, like, just sp standing up for the mistreatment of Native Americans and different states across America and having their lands being invaded as well, and the abuse they would get, harassment. So this is really why. And, you know, you never really knew at that time, but it did bother Marlon Brando as well. For someone who really just excelled 
very well in, in a movie like The Godfather. An issue like this really meant a lot to him. And he wanted to raise awareness on it, even though, in a way, not everyone responded kindly to it with the boos, the heckling, even Sashin Littlefeather almost getting physically attacked by it. Um, I still think her courage should be praised even to this day, and I hope it continues. Alright, it seems that more and more cloud gaming projects are really on the rise. Uh, this time it's going to be a collaboration between both Logitech and Tencent that have announced that they're working on a handheld gaming device. So it's a blend of Logitech's G branding hardware and Tencent's software engineering knowledge prowess as well. Uh, but it's, at least for now, it's just tentatively going to be called like Logitech G gaming handheld, something like that. But there's no definitive name. That's just what it is at the moment. Anyway, um, maybe later this year it should be like on the gaming market. I think it's good timing when consider that even something like Steam Deck and something else, Aya Neo Pro, something like that, also available. And it's pretty cool that they're going to be working with uh, team members from Xbox Cloud Gaming and the GeForce now from Microsoft and NVIDIA to have some of the games or software just be implemented as well. And I think that's really good for more accessibility. So that's pretty nice. So it's nice that there are going to be games that are going to be supported from <clears throat> both of those platforms. And let's hope it goes on sale, uh, but it's not clear with the schedule given the ongoing supply chain and, and how there's a difficulty just you know, having production be manufactured right now, you know, especially on certain tools as well. But it's but it's not like cloud gaming isn't accessible anyway. There are lots of, even on tablets or so forth and mobile phones, like plenty of apps that, will, that at least help for accessibility as long as the processing supports it, you know. And I think Steam Deck as well kind of does some cloud gaming, I'm sure. But more importantly, using like low power components, you know, they shouldn't be really difficult to come by to develop and get so forth since, you know, it shouldn't be too costly for consumers to afford and uh, both of these companies can build. So that's the important thing. But it's a good thing that in this case, it's really more for the cloud gaming. So... It's a bit different from how Steam with their Steam Deck is really more for the local gaming, I think, as well. But, um, you know, it, it's a bit better since uh, Steam Deck needs strong 4G and 5G connection. Although I'm not sure how it may look like, but based on images I got from gsmarena.com, there's a few images online... Here is one that I'm looking at. It looks like something similar for, to Xbox buttons as well. Pretty cool, even on the left or right side. Normally I associate it with like start, select, just because I'm used to PlayStation, but um, you know, the two smaller buttons that are asymmetrical to one another, similar to Xbox One. Of course, the face buttons, the offset analog sticks as well. I thought it's pretty cool. I'm seeing a Windows logo as well. It's nice that there's like this, uh, also another picture, like um, 
there's this really nice grip behind it as well. And yeah, I can tell, of course, USB ports, Type-C ch charging port, audio jack. I am seeing HDMI port. I can tell in the bottom there's an HDMI port. So I think that's a really cool idea to have as well. It's nice to even see in the back how well the grip is, nice material. I like to design as well, PC console. Also another image, uh, I really can't say much because it's all in the, the Chinese writing, at least I think it is. Could be maybe hardware details as well, but that's just really it for this, you know, like, I think it's pretty cool that even more and more dedicated handheld gaming, whether it's cloud gaming or locally, is slowly but surely coming back up on the rise sooner rather than later. For some reason, recently, it doesn't seem like Sony, especially with the PlayStation brand, have found themselves in a good place, or at least seem to be in like in some concerning news. I'd say first, um, at least in the UK, a consumer rights active advocacy group is suing Sony for charging a 30% commission fee on all digital purchases made through the UK PlayStation Store. So it's a class action lawsuit that seeks to distribute billions of dollars to players who have used the PlayStation UK store since August 2016. Uh, the lawsuit itself was recently filed at a London's Competition Appeal Tribunal and is accusing Sony for uh, abusing its market dominance by imposing unfair conditions on developers and then pass and then make uh, excessive and unfair prices to consumers. And that's really fair when you consider uh, the daily expenses and cost of living in the UK, especially in, in London. But a quote I got saying, The drive towards in-game purchases allows companies like Sony to profiteer and abuse their power because they have, an, they have a, a captive audience. Alex Neal, the leading claim, said, Sony knows its customers and are hooked once they are part of the PlayStation world and it, it exploits them with exorbitant charges on every digital purchase. And that is fair. I mean, unless you take advantage of really deep discounts, there can be a lot of uh, extreme price tags. But then again, it's not an issue that I face, at least where I'm living in. Excuse me. So first, a judge needs to approve the suit as an opt-out collective action before it can progress in trial. Once it is, once the claim itself is certified, it could sweep in like 8.9 customers and garner as much as um, 5 billion pounds. Yeah, 5 billion pounds, which is equivalent of like $5.9 billion in damages, which is a massive amount. I mean, like $6 billion for costly damages in a lawsuit like this is... Something that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, so it's like just basically costly damages for high expenses of digital games and extra content for their PlayStation consoles since that time is in the lawsuit. And, you know, the argument for the Sony is that they're looked at as having like a near monopoly on digital sales for their games, especially when it comes to exclusives there. 
And yeah, I get that the prices are unreasonable since it's since Sony are enforcing like a 30% take on their storefronts. Um, although maybe the Epic Games sort of something, they had something similar. There was a lawsuit between Epic and Apple regarding the use of Fortnite and then Fortnite got removed from iOS, supposedly. Uh, or unless Epic Games were the had the exception of like having a thirty percent intake, but anyway, uh, we'll have to wait and see if the UK courts decide if PlayStation are having a mon monopoly uh, in terms of the digital gaming market, and how will this affect even Xbox, Nintendo, even Steam as well? Valve with the PC uh, Steam. Um, PC gaming store as well. And one of the important details that the plaintiff has said is that in terms of all the industry consumer use around the UK, gaming more than anything is often used as well, even more so than movies, TV shows, streaming, whatever it is. And this is and this comes at a time where yes. Not many people can afford the high expensive games, especially since PS5 games and even Series X is like $70. But with cost of living is becoming really high and, you know, consumer pur purchases are being squeezed like never before. And this is really weird timing as well, because as this lawsuit was filed, Sony announced a price increase for their PS5 console across the globe in multiple regions although not in america not in every region but it's said to be happening i think in europe and canada wow um in, Me in countries as well like even mexico as well so you'll easily find an article about ps5 price sales but it's gone up to like an extra 50 dollars for example even in Mexico, like an extra $1,000, but it's just crazy. Like, it's really frustrating to me when a new console like this becomes even more expensive than it was. Like, initially from $500 to like, what, 550 or even like in some countries even more. Like, I it, it just makes me even less and less excited about something like this to point where I have to wonder if I just have to make a simple upgrade to the pro model. Of the same PS4 console. You know like. It's a little frustrating. I've been finding PS5's like $650. Or even $700. And that's. That's a great. You know that's egregious. That's something I wouldn't want. To buy or do. You know it's not worth that a high expense. You, you bundled with a game or not. it Especially since it's big anyway. But it's just a lot to ask. It's just really frustrating. Like, what's with these anti-consumer practices? And the interesting thing is that at the same time, uh, statements from Microsoft and Nintendo stating that, at least right now, later it could it's unknown, but right now they certainly don't have any plans to increase the price tags of their consoles. So the Switch are still going to be very affordable, and really Nintendo Switches are really affordable. Even the OLED is like, well, like what, 350 and the funny thing is that I remember finding an OLED switch model uh, just close to where I work in the day 
like at $330, which is amazing value. That really is really, really good value. And while I found Series X consoles like $600, which I don't like, at least in other major markets, it's like $500 and the Series S is at $300. And I really love how small and powerful the Series S is at $300. So that's really good. And it really does make the purchase of something like that really worth it. So um, right now, they're not looking good, Sony. I mean, especially when you consider exclusive that have come out. And this is comes out a time when like early November, God of War Ragnarok is coming, November 9. It is cross-gen, but it is really important that it succeeds on PS5. Who's going to buy a now extremely expensive console? And a PS5 game that's going to be like at $70. It's just becoming a really, really tough sell right now. It's just becoming even more frustrating, discouraging. And it's just like, what's the point? Okay, sure. Like, even someone like me, if I do become interested in like three, four years, fine. But something really has to change for it to be more accessible and consumer-friendly prices. All right, guys and gals, just for the final topic for this episode, um, just a quick review for uh, really the second time I'm going to be reviewing a music album. This time it'll be Beyonce's Renaissance. And of course, like when it came out, released, of course, on streaming platforms, Spotify, so forth, and just downloading, listening to it for myself so that I don't use data from beginning to end. Uh... You know, it's good that once more she uses uh, more fast-paced, of course, more pop music, more EDM techno music. And, you know, it really suits her well, fits her well, despite really not being, you know, her greatest strength. Of course, more like ballads and R&B music type, you know, from past albums. While this is a really good album in itself, it is a bit risky and daring at the same time. And it did get itself some controversy as well. I think a couple of the lyrics were sort of offensive for a couple of people. Uh, something like that happened. But otherwise, it is still a really good album. I would say like somewhere in the middle, but one of her earlier albums are better. I think like one of them in 2013, even four maybe was better. I liked her B-Day album. It's better. But... This one is not so bad either. It, you know, it just becomes a bit more of. I don't want to say offensive, but like her lyrics do go a bit over the line and somewhat like for someone like her, especially a mother now, a bit uncharacteristic with the lyrics that are a bit risky. You know what I mean? But, you know, there's still some good tunes. And of course, the big single itself, Break My Soul, really still a big hit. I think another song from the album Alien Superstar I like. I've got it on my phone, actually, uh, you know, listening to it. Um, yeah, I don't want to take too long with ad-libs and so forth. Another album of hers that I like that everyone still calls her Magnum Opus, like Lemonade, but, you know, still some pretty good songs. I think, like, you know, even Plastic Off the Sofa, uh, I think Pure Honey as well. Energy is also a new good song. So there are plenty of good songs on Renaissance as well. And it's, I think it's going to be the start of something new because she did say it's like 
part one of a three-part album project that sort of continues the theme from Renaissance into something else in the second part of it. So her next album won't be like some entirely new project of a new concept, new themes, and so forth. It's going to be a continuation of what was just recently released, I think, in mid-July. So that's pretty interesting to see. But what I'm at least hoping for, for any sort of improvements, uh, something that's just a little bit more appealing, something that really dives in and just goes back to more of her artistic roots that really she's just great at. Nothing wrong with like house, EDM. It's really one of my favorite genres. It's just that it's good that she did it. Great experiment. I don't think it's her first time, if I'm correct. Um, But also keep more like catchy pop hits as well. She's always been great with pop music as well. Maybe even go back to doing more hip hop music, like do hip kind of like hip hop ballads or something like that. But uh, yeah, uh, I think there's, I think there's still going to be a good momentum going on from here as well. All right, guys and gals, that pretty much concludes the Films and Pixels podcast, episode twenty-four. That's all the topics I have for this week's episode. Um, if you have watched and listened from beginning to end, I personally want to say thank you very much. Uh, I know plenty of you, wherever in the world, have a very busy schedule, so it means a lot that you take your time out of your day uh, just to listen to me talk about different things, watch this podcast episode, whatever it is, however platform. If you watch on YouTube, thank you. Support this channel. If you're listening on Spotify, Anrami, or whatever else, really thank you. It really does mean a lot to me. Your support is always appreciated. So any kind of support you provide, I mean, it's just a boost for me. So, you know, you like a small contribution. It means a lot. So please subscribe if you can. It's just a great boost. I know I'm going on, but really thank you so much. It's just, uh, I'm grateful for whatever support you can give and provide. It means a lot. And, um... You know, this is your host, Afif Jamil, from the Films and Pixels podcast. Good day and good night. <laughs>